Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's Welcome to this week's episode of Small Doses. You know, I know that I have a lot of listeners who do a lot of things and I am always trying to figure out just kind of ways in which people can get access to doing like what they want to do. You know, that's like a big deal for me because I feel like my mom, you know, for a long time, like didn't understand what I was doing simply because I enjoyed my work. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know how much of that is just like, me being a millennial and how much of that is her being uh, of an immigrant uh, mindset. But it was just kind of like, well, you can't enjoy work. I mean, that's not Mm -hmm. like a thing. And that if you are enjoying it, then you're clearly not making as much money as you could be. Um, And so I really am like not about that life. And I was trying to try and bring information spaces and, and uh, byways and highways of knowledge to folks on how they can do that for themselves. And so I, had discovered uh this individual that we have on this week's episode uh I discovered her on Instagram I I don't even know how I feel like I was just like poking around um and I in my creating my line illustrious league I was looking for other folks who had also created their own lines and just trying to get some insight into, you know, what they were doing and how they were doing it. And also I love, everybody knows I love a sweatsuit. And so I stumbled upon uh, Kalechi and Yadegu. Yep. And, and, you know, she had three different spaces that she had created um, for her work and for others. And it was very intriguing to me. And I reached out because I was like, you know, I want to hear more about what made you go down this road and how you ended up in this space. Because the one thing she says is when I started my apparel line, it wasn't working. And then I recalibrated and figured out a framework that has made it successful. And I want to share that with y'all. So whenever I see people say like, I want to share my shit that I learned with y'all, I'm like, oh, well, how can we make a space for that? So today we have made a space with Ms. Kalechi and Daegu. And um, this is side effects of starting an apparel brand. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I mean, I think that, you know, starting... Uju, which is our parent company. And under our parent company, we have currently, we have three brands. We have Sukin Sepia, which is a fashion fashion brand. Simi Sienna, which is our athleisure brand that Amanda, um, you were alluding to. And then we have our, 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 our home decor line, which is called Mango Maison. But the thing is with all of these brands, right? This is, this is all about 10 years in the making, right? So this isn't my first time building an e-commerce company. So I feel like when people see all of our success, because we just launched um, the studio last August. So it hasn't even been a year since we launched it, right? And you launched it in the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic, right? Which, mind you, you know, that was out of necessity, right? So my first business um, was a marketplace, right? And, you know, I started that when I was about 22 or 23. And, you know, I had a lot of success with that first business, but 
was just hopefully unprepared and inexperienced <laughs> when it came to, I had no idea. I was just excited. Right. Right. And I feel like when you want to build something, like you have a vision and you just, and you just go. Right. And so I'm the kind of person who just like to jump in and just like get crazy and go. <laughs> but when you don't have the right operational experience, financial experience, managing a team, all of those things, you mm-hmm. don't have the infrastructure that you need to build a business. So first business, Failed, right? I put five, six years into that and it failed woefully, right? And so, um, and I remember thinking to myself, um, because I was in a very bad place after that, I found that I, you know, I take a lot from that experience and how I put so much of my personal sense of worth into that, which I know a lot of people do, right? So Mm -hmm. with that, with that, I felt like I was dead, right? And so it was, it took me time to really recover from that. And yeah, you know, I just remember like looking at God, like, you know, I'm done with the entrepreneurship thing. I don't want this anymore. I'm done. Let me go find a regular job, find a husband and just (laughs) have a normal life that my Nigerian parents have prayed for me to have for a very long time. But I'm, I, I just, I'm just not that person, right? I think that there's this box that like, you know, people sometimes see themselves in or society wants to put you in, mm-hmm. but I have never fit into that, right? I've always just been just this high, just cre- highly creative person. And I found my way back into entrepreneurship um, in the middle of a pandemic where I didn't have a job, right? I, you know, was laid off from my nine to five at the time. Okay, so you did, wait, 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 I got to stop you. I got to stop mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. So you did go and get the regular job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and to be honest, and to be honest, it wasn't a bad thing, right? Because okay. um, it's crazy when you think about, you know, the the ways that things are falling into place in your life, right? right. So when my first business failed, I had no money. I had nothing. I, had, I moved back home with my mom in Boston. And, you know, I was just there existing, right? And so I needed, I needed a job, right? And it got to the point for me where I literally took a retail job, you know, for a few months just to make something, right? So here I was, somebody who had been, you know, in Forbes and CNN and all these places making $15 an hour, right? And so... It was, it, was, it was a mind-fuck thing, but right? But because... you're mind-fucking <laughs> us because you just casually dropped that you were on CNN and Forbes and all these places. So, But yet you said that your business was a failure. So how did that happen? So I felt like it was a failure because of the people that I disappointed, right? And so mm. I think that, like, a lot of people will see, you know, that business as a success because, like I said, we had great press and we were doing all these things and... You know, I think on the outside, it was fabulous, right? And that's one thing I always tell young entrepreneurs is that, like, be careful with getting caught up in, like, accolades and press and all these things because that doesn't equate to money in your pocket because it didn't for me, right? I had all the accolades, but I I did not take any salary from my, my first business for the first, you know, at all, right? I was existing through, like, just my parents supporting me and different things, but me, nothing, right? And so, you know, I had to really like, you know, come out of this mindset of like, what does success mean? Right. And for me, I, you know, I think that I wanted success to be supporting amazing artisans, supporting amazing women of color, creating jobs. 
And then just being able to share my story and for people to be able to hear that, like, this entrepreneurship thing is, is really hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, and, and it will take your mind in just all of these crazy places, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, yeah, so for me, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, I think that in a normal state of mind, I'm quite confident in myself and my abilities when it comes to digital marketing and, you know, websites. I can do that stuff real well. But I just got to a point where I was just like, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Nobody wants to work with me. I, 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 I just need to like just go get a little job and just pay some, you know, just have some money to survive. And that's what I did. So basically it was kind of like you felt like your confidence had been shot. And so you needed to go smaller to like be able to even manage that. I just needed money, right? And Fair. so okay. Yeah, okay. I just needed some money, right? And so, you know, I would have loved to like do other things, but I just I didn't think that anybody would want to like work with me or, you know, I just didn't feel like I was worthy of any of those things. Oh, it was, it was a dark time. But then, you know, I think through patience, right? Because I think the way that you get out of those things is through patience, right? Like it's just allowing for the the for yourself to just get through that period, right? And so, um, but I was still in the mindset of like, I'm never gonna like go back to entrepreneurship again, right? Because I was I was traumatized. From but my what was it that traumatized you? Because I know, like for me, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Like I've had to really become a lot more fine tuned about Mm -hmm. what that really means to me. Like at one point in time, it was like, I just want to own everything. I want to do everything. Like I'm Mm -hmm. just going to, that's what I'm going to be. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, there is so much to that in terms of creative control, right? In Mm -hmm. terms of just like your independence, your vision, Mm-hmm. But along with that independence, creative control, and vision becomes responsibilities and obligations yep. that are exactly. immense to manage. Which you don't realize, right? Because when you first start off your business, it's usually just you, right? <laughs> it's just you and yourself. And you don't really like have anyone to help you, you know, keep you accountable and to do things, right? Correct. But I think that once you're, you start to like really grow and scale your business into like, because my first business was, was a million dollar business, right? So now was this money that you had gotten invested? No, that was just pure revenue. We had no investments in that in that business, right? And that it was, was a fashion. A, it was an apparel company. It was an apparel company, yeah. And so, and so, yeah. With that, I was like, you know, I was like, I felt like I was figuring it out every day, right? And I'm the mm-hmm. kind of person who, like, usually I can figure things out, right? Like, you know, I can I can make it work in like some way. Yeah. But like, when the business failed so woefully, I was like. I couldn't figure it out, right? It just got to a point where, like, it was beyond me. So when you say it failed, though, because you didn't just say it failed, you said it failed so woefully. So, like, you mentioned that you yourself didn't take a salary. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, like, what made it a failure? Because there's a certain point where you deem something a failure, and everyone has different benchmarks for that right Mm -hmm. like I know Mm -hmm. like I've had to give up a business because I'm just like I don't know how to do this and Mm -hmm. I cannot figure out how to do this in the amount of time that is needed between like the money I'm putting into it and the money I need to get out of it so I need to just like 
take a step back. Which is what I should have done, right? And I think that like, mm. you know, with the business is that like, it got to a point where like, there were issues in the business that I clearly saw, but I thought I could figure it out. Right? Issues I like thought. what? There were like issues with the operations of the business, um, you know, just the profitability of the business. Like, you know, and, and, you know, these were things that I felt like, you know, you know, we're, we're generating revenue, you know, we seem to be doing well, you know, we'll figure these things out. Right. But in the end, it just all came to a crashing halt. Right. And so, you know, I think that for me, you know, just, you know, having to disappoint a lot of people in the process and having to like, we had to really close, close down the marketplace quite abruptly. What was that moment of crashing halt though? Was it just like, oh, sucks. We have bills we need to pay for and we can't pay them? Yep. Yeah. Got yep. it. And so, and so, and I worked, you know, you know, post to that, trying to figure out how to like, um, just fix, fix those issues. Right. I spent like, you know, the next year trying to figure out, okay, how do I fix it? Right. And mm-hmm. You know, I was traveling all over the world. You know, I was in talks of like trying to sell the business. Like I really, you know, worked hard to try to all while I was still like in this really negative headspace. Right. And so I think it was just like, you know, trauma compounding on trauma and just like, you know, having to like show up every day, but still internally feeling like, you know, I wanted to die. And so like, it was it was really hard. It was just it was the hardest year of my life, but I I made it through. Like I I mean I think it's one of those things that you just take day by day, and you know I I got to, so I spent that year trying to figure things out, but you know it got to, got to a point where I was just like I can't can't keep doing this to myself and. Right. Um, I ended up getting a really great opportunity, um, in New Jersey, which, which is where I'm actually from. I'm, I'm born and raised. And so, um, worked a great job, you know, for a year, a nine to five. You said a great job. It was great. Yeah. So you liked your nine to five. Now, was it in the I same field? So I was actually taking much of my experience with that first business and I was coaching other black women entrepreneurs. So it was, it was beautiful, divine alignment. Right. And I was getting paid actually getting, I had a, a steady, steady paycheck. Right. right. Cause that's what I mean when I say I, it reset me. Right. Because now I had a steady paycheck. I was back to living on my Listen. own. I was on my healing journey. I was doing yoga. I, Money I mean, I was, can't buy you happiness, but was, it, it can really, it can buy you stability. Right. There like, we go. Yeah. It can buy you stability. And I needed just that stability to really just, get my confidence back to really start just, you know, just start getting back to like a regular sense of um, my sense of worth. Right. And so um, I did that for a year. That was 2019. And then 2020, um, I had to, I was looking for a new opportunity. And because again, I was, I was literally just like, I'm never going back to entrepreneurship. That was my mind frame. I was like, I cannot do this again. I'm not again. I am going to just work regular jobs and just do that. And then I, I remember um, I had um, was interviewing with really big companies in like e-commerce. And you were interviewing with them as a nine, like in the nine to five. Nine to five yeah. Okay. In the nine to five. Yeah. And um, really thinking that, you know, I got this, you know, I was going to get the job, didn't get the job. And, you know, Again, I need a paycheck. So I started consulting, right? And I just started like taking what I knew 
in um, marketing, Facebook ads, digital, um, building fashion brands. And I started working with the same brands for my first company, right? Because a lot of that, like, the, the, the whole thing was everyone hated me was all in my head, right? No, everyone didn't hate me. I was just being like a baby, right? Like I, it was, I, it was literally all in my head. And so um started working with those initial brands, helping them to like build their own brands. And I liked what I was doing, but I found that like I was working a lot for very little, for very little, yeah. right? It's not fun, right? And so no. I had to figure out what is a model that I can create that can allow me to do what I love, which is building e-commerce brands. That's really my passion to build out digital experiences and then do it in a way that I could actually get a steady paycheck for myself. And so, yeah, that's when I started Soup and Sepia. Um, it, start, it, it went very well immediately. And then I realized there was a bigger opportunity here to build brands around the lifestyles of Black and Brown women, right? And so, you know, and that's why we're, we're, we're building up all these different kinds of brands. And we have future brands that we want to build out, you know, around beauty, around skincare, around hair, just all kinds of things that affect us as Black women. But then I also want to make sure that I'm taking taking almost like this e-commerce engine that we're building and able to use it to power other amazing visions, right? So that's why as part of our bigger kind of idea, we want to acquire amazing brands. We want to continue to build brands. We want to invest into brands. And I think that's down the, down the line for us. But, you know, I think that, you know, we're really just trying to build just that that house for like black women brands. Right. And use resources internally and a community internally that this ecosystem to power that. Right. Because black brands love black women love to buy black brands. Right. They do. Let's just build a collective. Right. Of, of this. And so um, so we're really excited about it. Um, you know, like I said, we're very early. Um, in the development of it. But, you know, based on the success that we've seen so far from our brand, we know that there's something very powerful here. And when you say based on the success of your brand, what which mm-hmm. which do you mean specifically? You mean just like Uja overall or mm-hmm. Sukin Sepia? So, has been our flagship brand. And, you know, that brand is where we've really seen like a lot of success, right? That one has just grown tremendously in the past seven, eight months or so. And so it's based on the success from that brand that we built out these sister brands and we'll continue to build out these different, these different brands. And so, um, but I think that like, unlike my first business, right, you know, I really come at it from a data centric approach, right? So it's not like we just build out brands, right? We really take data, you know, and then we build out the brands on our, on, on the initial site first, and then we build out the sister brands based on the success from from the flagship brand, right? So there's a lot of like, you know, um, you know, we really try to be data centric and, you know, really trying to build a solid infrastructure um, for what we're doing first before just going out and just, you know, building, building, building. You see, that's my problem. (laughs) That's what I do. I just am like, let's do this, you know? It should be the same. And then you do it and you're like, this is hard. <laughs> Wait, what do you well, think? Well, like? because I, like, I launched my brand at League and then mm-hmm. just very quickly was like, you can't do this. Like, yeah. you know, like you, I had somebody who was running it that proved to be just incompetent. And, yeah. you know, once you realize like that the person that you're 
like leaning on is completely not leanable. You're just like, oh, oh my God. Okay. What then, then you have this like Hercules moment where you're like, it's fine. I can do it. Okay. I can handle it all. I've got this. And it took me maybe about a week <laughs> to realize, bitch, no, you don't. It's okay, right? You like, don't. And so like, you know, I guess this is a good time for me to tell folks, like I'm pausing illustriously until I can relaunch in a way that is stable, you know, mm-hmm. and in a way that has like, you said that has like a data approach that has somebody or somebody's that are mm-hmm. you know, people yeah. a team because I can't be the team anymore. And I think that was like the biggest lesson I had to learn was like, mm-hmm. you know, I've reached a point where I can't just do things as a hobby and not just because yeah. not even just because I don't have time, but because like, I don't feel like I'm doing people a service, you know, like it feels like I'm yeah. just like, you know, I want things to be so much more sewn up. I want things to be tight. Yeah. I want everything to be like up, like uh, upscale is not the word I'm looking for, but I want things to be efficient, you know? And so often black businesses get like, you know, shit on for like, just not having those types of infrastructure put yeah. together. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I look at like, I look at companies like uh, Mess in a Bottle and like Black by Popular Demand. And, you know, I see what they're doing as independent um, apparel creators, you know, and they are always innovating and really trying to figure out like new ways to get products. But I will say that they always, they have a, I I commend them because uh, also Milano de Rouge, like they, Mm -hmm. they have figured out like how to, use their audience and just give a fuck about their audience. And yeah. I think that's the thing a lot of us mis- mistake. Like, it's like, no, I want everybody. It's like, no, 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 I just need no. these people. A niche. Yes, exactly. Right. And that's what I tell whenever I talk to entrepreneurs all the time, it's like, think about who is your community, right? Like, you know, whether your community is, you know, your sorority sisters or whether it's like, I talked to a lady who um, is a nurse, you know what I mean? I think that like, there's different ways of carving out niches within these different communities, right? That can be, because the thing with building a brand is that it's all about storytelling, right? What is the story that you're telling? And I think that there's power in being a visionary, right? But I think that like, when it comes to like, you know, being a visionary, there also has to be a structure in in place in terms of people (laughs) and, you know, um, information that's helping you to power, you know, your e-commerce brands, because this is a business that you're creating, right? And so you need to make sure that you have the proper things in place to like actually allow your vision to flourish, right? And if you don't have those things, you know, it, it can just be really hard. So totally. What made you even go into this line of work? Like from the beginning, like you said, you started your company. We kind of started in the middle of your story, but I would love to yeah. hear like, what made you even start the first brand? Um, so I'm so my first brand focused on working with artisans in, in Africa. So I'm Nigerian, and so um, I've always been just interested in connecting just stories and visions of people around the world and bringing that to a broader audience, right? So for Africa specifically, right? I think that the continent has just so many beautiful, you know, stories, traditions, cultures that, you know, if the world was to see that, you know, just, I I just really want to be able to tap that um, creative nature, right? Really be able Mm -hmm. to tap that talent on the continent. And I think that 
it's interesting just, I think, as I've seen how my vision has really been, um, how that's grown into just working with women of color and the diaspora in general, right? Because I meet so many amazing entrepreneurs, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, if you just, if you just, you know, did this sort of that or went left sort of right, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I could see this just being such a huge success, right? And then I think, with my, you know, with my first was that, that was that like, I, I was really great when it came to marketing and, you know, websites. And then there are some who are just really great when it comes to design, right? And they just need, you know, that, um, that platform to showcase their items to more people. And so, and so, yeah, for me, you know, it's just, I think that my whole life, I've always just been um, someone who is just, you know, just very passionate about um, my culture. You know, like I said, I, I grew up here in the States, but, you know, um, I come from a, you know, very strong Nigerian background and heritage and, a, you know, very proud one. And, you know, being able to just share that on a larger stage just excites me, right? And then, but I think more importantly, make money from it, right? Like be right. able to like make sure that like I'm making money, you know, to support myself and family and generations to come, but then I can do it in a way that others can do that as well, right? Because prior to my first business, I came straight from grad school and I had and where was had grad school? Five. I was at Carnegie Mellon. Okay. And so, yeah. And so, but I had never had a nine to five job because like, I just was, like I said, a very creative person. And I, and I was just like, I just want to like create. I don't want to do things that like I have to go to an office and talk to people I don't like. I don't want to do that. I, totally I don't want to have to talk to people I don't I just, like. You know, i tell you something. It's crazy. During the pandemic, right, I'm, I would talk to clients and, you know, they would tell me all these crazy stories about having to Zoom with people like around the George Floyd and like people like literally did not give a shit about what was happening in the country. I'm like, and they would live with, you know, and I'm just like, you have to deal with these people every day. I I just could not imagine it. Right. And so I was like, you know, I think it's, I feel like it's almost soul sucking, right. To like work these corporate jobs that around people who do not give a fuck about you or your existence, you know, or anything like that, especially when you have this beautiful creative vision that if you just had the right tools could be your revenue source. Right. And so I feel like that's what drives me. It's the fact that like black women, we're so creative and we have so many amazing ideas that if you just had the right resources, we wouldn't have to like rely on like working these corporate jobs that we don't like. Right. But you've got to pay the bills. Right. And so that and that's just, you know, that's just is what it Life. is. Right. <laughs> and so if I can create a, a vehicle, right, that helps, you know, creatives just you know, actually monetize on their passions, right? And do it in a way that is sustainable and scalable, you know, that, that, that's really exciting to me. And so wait, but you still never said how you, why you started. You said you, well, you said why, but you didn't say how, like what made you be like, so since I don't want to do that, this one, because there's many other ways you could have gone than saying I'm going to start an apparel brand. Yeah. So I think that like, I think that apparel is just kind of where I've been comfortable, right? Like, I just know, I'm like, so, you know, my mother is a real fashionista. Growing up, I was a fashionista. I loved, like, Limited 2 and, like, oh you, know, God, all like little- <laughs> you just told your age. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, all these, like, little fashion girl stores. And so, and so, yeah. Limited I 2 was like- my jam. <laughs> I can't even believe you just said Limited uh, 2. That was my I- jam. 
<laughs> right? And so, like, I love this brand. I love fashion. I love going to school on my little, like, you know, kitty heels or whatever, right? And so I feel like that part, like, the fashion has always kind of been ingrained in me. So I just love that. And, and then I love, like, prints and colors and realizing that, like, there's, like, there's something there that can be captured, right? In a way that will allow for me to really just be creative, but do it in a way that's highly scalable, right? And so with 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 Souk, I remember when I first started it, I didn't really have any money. And so um, I had to like kind of get hacky creating content. So I started creating those fashion boards and it they blew up. People loved them, right? And people were like, yeah, you know, kind of, gives me like polybore vibes and things like that. So can you just, for those who don't know, can you explain to them what the fashion, what a fashion board is? Yeah. So pretty much um, it's literally just um, a board and we put up different um, items on it. Right. So we'll have like a dress with the matching bag, shoes or shades. Right. So it shows women how to, or men or whoever wants to wear it, but like how to like wear a complete outfit, yeah. right? And so, you know, and like I said, that was just done because I could do that in Canva real quick and put it on Instagram and boom, right? We have Voila. content, right? And so um, so I learned a lot in just in, in just like, you know, the, the, the vehicles that we needed, right? To really start to grow this community. And then I think, you know, just integrating a lot of the things that I love. So I love to travel, you know, I love, you know, affirmations and really like Google stuff and like integrating <laughs> that into the brand. And that connects with other people. And it just, but you this know, is, but Sue Concepia is the brand that you created during the pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yep. want to know, Kalesha, mm-hmm. you're killing me. I want to know how, mm-hmm. why did you start your initial brand? That first brand that went, that you were like, we was popping <laughs> in the PR, but I had an empty bank account, but we were still popping. Like, what yeah. was it that made you? Because I'm the reason I asked that is because mm-hmm. it is very easy to have an idea. It is a yes. whole other thing to have an actual plan that becomes mm-hmm. like practice. A business. Yes. So, so it's okay, one thing for that. you to be like, oh my God, like, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to a nine to five. Maybe I should start a fashion brand. And then it's a whole other thing to be like, and then I started a fashion brand. Actually, so when I was in grad school, um, I, I hated it. Right. Um, I was studying <laughs> what were user you in grad experience. School for? I was studying user experience design. And okay. I like, I like so user experience design. Right. I love like, you know, the idea of like, the relationships between like people and technology, but I just okay. hated my program, right? I felt like a lot of the people that I was in school with, like they all like wanted to like corporate jobs, Facebook, Google, all these things, but I just really wanted to be creative. So I was living in Pittsburgh and I actually, I don't know, I feel like I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad's an entrepreneur and, you know, I, growing up just seeing him, you know, with his businesses. And so my, when I was living in Pittsburgh, I actually started a um, pen paling program, right? So um, for me, being Nigerian, you know, I'm sure, you know, everyone is kind of knows about the tensions that exist between, you know, Africans and African-Americans, right? And so right. growing up, seeing that, I was like, how can I bridge that gap, right? And so I started this pen paling program between kids in, in Pittsburgh and kids in Liberia and, you know, did a pilot for that and kids were sending letters. But, you know, education don't, doesn't make any money. And so it just, it was kind of hard to just really build on that. And so, um, so then I started thinking about, you know, just all of these amazing, you know, African-inspired designs that I love, right? And I would meet designers all the time that 
would want me to help them with like building their websites or help them with their social media. And, you know, you know, I should build a platform where like all these designers can exist. And then I do marketing to push people to the platform. One day I had the idea, I like, and like, I'm a very like, if I say I'm going to do it, I just do it. So one day I had the idea, the next day I started building out the social, the social media. So I like got my Instagram handle, started posting to Instagram. Oh, wow. And I started, started building the website, right? And so, but the thing is that I didn't really go into with a plan. So I ended <laughs> up spending and uh, wasting money on like building this website that nobody really wanted. Right. Right. And so, um, but I think that what was the most important thing during that initial period was building the community. Right. Because like you want to build, you want to build that fan base, that community that of people that love your story and love what you're doing. Right. So Mm -hmm. I built the Instagram and I was posting just like different African inspired content from around the web and then attributing to the author. And through that, I was learning the kind of content that people liked, right? I was learning, you know, what interested people. And through that, I was able to really gauge what kind of content I should continue posting, right? And so doing that, by the time we launched, we had like 20,000 followers. And that kind of gave us the momentum to start getting initial sales. And then we started getting different people reposting us. And it just kind of grew, right? But I think that like, the two main things that are important in that is that one is building is building your community, and then two is building content that engages them, right? So because your content is really like how you get what's in your head, your vision to the world, right? And so and that's the hard part, right? And so in and so you have to really test content, you know, um, A B test it, just do different things to put it out there. And so yeah, I mean that was kind of how it was initially kind of built, and then from there I just kind of like started doing things that made sense brought on someone to help with customer service you know i moved to atlanta for two years and oh, wow. you know yeah i just started um, so it started as marketing for other brands mm-hmm. but then it became so the intention was to be like an etsy right but for oh. african designers right and so um so yeah so like i said knowing that you know Is i this could build out yes <laughs> I should go and get you my super clothes I got in my closet. I should go and show you. I got. I I should go pull the shit from my. I looked at something the other day. I was like, you haven't worn this in a long time. You need to pull yes, this out. Ma'am. Yes. Zuba, okay. Yes. Fully, I have. I have frequented Zuba Zuba many times. Yeah. We probably have an email thread. <laughs> Zuba was yeah like it's its own situation. That's that was crazy. I did not yeah. know that. But I will tell you what. Right here, I have an email from Kalechi Azuva from 2017. <laughs> right oh my here. God. You know, I, I, you know, Zuba is Zuba, right? I, I really, it was really like an experience of a lifetime, and I've you know tried to put it in a box, right, and just like let it be what it be, because. Yeah, like I think a lot of emotions come with that with with building it, but um, but yeah. yeah. I say this that I don't know the inner workings of what happened and what didn't happen, but mm-hmm. it is dealing with people mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. So let's just start there, right? Mm-hmm. Dealing with creative people also 
let's that adds another mm-hmm. brick to the difficult space, right? Mm-hmm. Dealing with creative people in other countries. We're also now adding another spit brick because there's time zone differences, yep. there's cost differences, there's yep. culture differences, there's expectation differences, you know, because some people are like, well, y'all in America, why can't you just go boom, 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 boom? And it's like, well, because there's no boom, 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 boom over here in this. I need people, I need help, I need this, I need that. Like, it was crazy, so, right? I, I can only imagine. With, the, with no money. <laughs> I can't. Well, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, what I think a lot of people really underestimate, I will be the first to say this. Customer service is the most important part. And yet you forget about it because it always feels like the hardest part is getting the stuff up and getting it out. And getting it sold. No. The hardest part is dealing with shipping issues and returns and exchanges. And well, I ordered this one, but I got this. Let me tell you something. We did a Smart, Funny, and Black sale at the top of the year. Okay? Because I had a bunch Mm -hmm. of merch that we couldn't sell because I wasn't on tour anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had a bunch of merch that was just in my storage space. And I'm like, you know what? People want to feel good about being Black right now. And I need to get this stuff out my storage space. Let me just do a sale. So I told myself, <laughs> I'm gonna set up fulfillment. And you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make this happen. You know, my man is here. We're gonna work together. We're gonna be a team. <laughs> Y'all out here listening. That was the most difficult shit I have ever done in my yeah. fucking life. I have moved across the nation by myself. I have gone to grad school. I have created shows from the ground up. Nothing I have ever, it, I come now I I completely understand how you were like, I went into a dark space. I had like three breakdowns in that garage (laughs) because (laughs) the amount of errors that can happen, it's like beyond your scope of comprehension. You're just yep. like, how, how did I make this many mistakes? Like, yep. and then how were there this many opportunities for mistakes? And that's when you get a new respect for logistics. Yeah. And the fact that that's a whole field. Yes. Um, and I, so let me just say anybody who's listening that ordered from that, like I applaud you and I appreciate you and your patience because I was down there. I was waking up every morning at 6 a.m. and putting on my Uggs and going downstairs to ship out orders. And I'm sitting there with my little scale and, and ship station. And and then, and then you, you know, you have quality control. So it's like you package something, but then someone else is supposed to check it to make sure the right stuff got in the package. And then someone else, well, if you don't have two other someone else's, then guess who has to check it? You. Then you find out that the person who's helping you, even though they mean the world, and even though they are trying their hardest, you find out that they are not as efficient as you just doing it yourself. Yep. So then you yep. find out that it it took this person an hour to put together 20 orders and it took you an hour to put together 80 orders. And so you're like, yep. listen, so I just got a whole new, yep. I, you know, I understand. Yep. And then I understand. a million customer emails, you got to answer. And then like, it's just Ma'am. all this stuff, right? And then you like, realize that your inventory was wrong. And then you got to be refunds and then you're losing money. And there, then you it's like, there you go. There you go. There you go. on fire, right? And so- yes. It's hard, right? I mean, (laughs) like it's it's a lot that goes into it. A lot of, you know, I I definitely get burnt out all the time thinking between like, because we have three departments and all of our companies, we have 
our marketing, our operations, and our customer experience, right? And so, you know, and I, I invest heavily into the customer experience because that's where the customer service comes into play, right? Because, you know, if, if people if people only buy from you once, that's bad, right? Like, right. you know, you want to make sure that you are keeping people happy and that you're retaining them and, you know, all of these things, these numbers and metrics that go into, like, you know, growing your business. And I think that, like, that I just didn't realize any of those things. You know, I didn't know any of it, none of it, right? Going into it. And so... I can't believe you were Kalechi from Zuba. I did not. I cannot believe. I can't believe in the middle of the interview, I'm like, hola. This is Zuba. Yes. You never know what's going to happen in a small doses interview. There's always... But I, but you know what? I commend you talking about your story because I feel like a lot of people, when we go through these moments and we go through these hard times, we don't want to talk about it because it really is triggering. And it's like, it yeah. takes us back and it's, it's dark. And, you know, there's something to be said for just like, you know what? I did it. I've done it. I'm over it. I moved past it. But I learned from it, but it's part of my story. Right. Yeah. And like, I think for me, it, 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 it is like, it is hard to talk about it, but I think that for me, I like to just be like open and transparent about how I got here, right? And so, you know, people thinking that like this happened to me overnight and I'm like, no, I had to like <laughs> fail to get here, right? So as long as you're willing to like accept that, you know, you're, you're probably going to fail multiple times before, you know, you reach a successful place, you know, you know, go forth, right? But like exactly. that's just... You know, like that's that that's the, the reality, right? Of, of starting growing a business. Well, I commend you for you know circling back. You know what I'm saying, and coming, um, and just coming back to a place where you're like, you know what, I can try this, and I can you know figure out how to do this in a way that actually does like make me happy. Because so many of us, it's like we fall down and we're just like, no, 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 I'm fine. Um, <laughs> but it does take a certain level of insight to also learn the difference between like what is really a failure. And what is really just ignorance, right? Yeah. And it sounds like what you're talking about was that like, it wasn't that you were, it wasn't that you failed. It was that you were ignorant to what you knew. When I mm -hmm. talk about a failure, so much of being a fit of, of something failing is about being blind. You know, it's, it's one thing to not know something. It's another thing to ignore, you know, it's mm -hmm. then ego, ego gets in the way. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. you know, like when you just really are like not willing to listen to other people, you're not giving, like you hire people, but you won't let them do their jobs. Yep. Um, you know, when you ultimately have just decided that you have like this vision that is, uh, impervious to like the realities <laughs> of where you are, that'll mm -hmm. often get you, um, you know, kind of in a space where you're in over your head. And I think when we talk about failure, I heard someone say the other day, like, there's no, there's nothing is, there's no such thing as failure. There's lessons. And I think that's, there's a truth to that, but I think we also have to identify like when it's time to hang it up. Yep. Yep. You know, like, and sometimes we dig ourselves in deeper holes because we just don't want to admit that maybe there's a better path. It's and not working. <laughs> and that was my exact thing, right? Like I kept, I feel, for me, I feel like I kept thinking that like, you know, I was going to get some white knight going to come in and fix all the problems. And that's just not reality, right? Mm. Like that's just like, I feel like I wasn't really grounded into like what my reality was, right? I was so out here thinking that like, oh yeah, we're going to like, you know, we'll raise some money. We'll, you know, somebody like, I just, I don't know. I was just in such a different 
thinking, right? That like something was going to change, but I wasn't like actually realizing that like, no, like this is where we are, you know, and it's fucked up, right? And so <laughs> I had to, that, I think that was my biggest lesson, right? Is to just be like, just be honest, you know, with, you know, myself in terms of like where I am and what I'm doing and how things are going. Um, and yeah, not feel like, something is just going to change drastically overnight because that's just not reality. Well, kudos. I think that, you know, the folks out here listening so much of like the paths that we're on, especially coming out of this pandemic, there's going to be so much newness. It just feels like when people talk about like, oh, you know, we're going to go back to a new normal. We, you know, this is a new normal. It's like, I know what that means. But then I think a lot of people, when they say that, what they mean is like the old normal. And what you're talking about, about like getting the reality of like, no, 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 this is where we are. Like, it's going to be so integral to building something that actually can flourish and understanding yeah. the con- like understanding like these new spaces, understanding that like who your fan base was before or who your audience was before may have like shifted, you know, like I can tell you, you know, we're coming into like the end of the year, they're starting to like open up venues and stuff and people are starting to sell tickets and whatnot. And I'm just like, I I really have no real concept about like what it's going to, what how it's going to be because this, this pandemic has hit everybody so hard in so many ways. Even if it hasn't hit you by your income, it's hit a lot of people emotionally, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know if folks are going to want to come out yet. I mean, it's, it's affected folks mentally. I don't yep. know if folks are going to feel safe to come out yet, you know? So all you can do is kind of just try. So, you know, we are going to, you know, put tickets on sale and see what happens. But I've had to be very conscious of the fact that like, you know, baby, the the tickets might not sell. And you need to be okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, because human behavior is changing, right? Like we see just, you know, know, I remember when like in the middle of the pandemic, when I was consulting, like I thought that sales would halt, but like they increased, right? Because everybody was at home, right? Everybody was on their, on their, bones right and so you know no one's going to go into stores anymore you know there's there's just new patterns right that people are adopting and and people are just getting more and more comfortable with just being at home right working from home zoom culture right that's why we launched this whole home decor line because we're like hey you're at home (laughs) make it fabulous with a black artist i got one up here by ty dials like you know what i mean like and so you just have to like Look at the market and just, you know, um, adopt, you know, based on that. So tell me about the space with the Black artists. Mm-hmm. How does that work? So pretty much if um, Mango Mason, we, we launched it about two weeks ago. And pretty much what we do is we work with amazing, you know, women, Black women artists. And we'll put their artwork on like canvas wall art. We'll put it on pillows. Um, we have a wearable art section on both um, Souk and Simi. So we'll go on like sweatshirts and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, it's just a really great opportunity for Black artists to monetize So do they get a percentage? Like- they get a commission, yeah. So every okay. month we send them a commission based on their sales. Um, and then, yeah, really you just send us your artwork and then we put it on different things and, you know, you're, you're able to sell through our platforms. Dope. It's important to note, though, that there are other platforms like this, but that you guys are mm-hmm. Black-owned. Yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we, you know, again, there's lots of, you know, platforms for fashion, right? And mm-hmm. athleisure, right? But all of these, you make your own, you tell your story, right? So Mango is really focused on women of color artists, right? And that's really the story that we're telling. 
Um, and then, and our, our, our market is also black women, right? So, you know, that's just a carving that we've made out for ourselves within, within that brand. And so, and so, yeah, you know, if, if it's, it's a place that artists want to um, feature their artwork, you know, we're, we're happy to work with them. So we had talked about this journey, you know, from entrepreneur to nine to fiver, as a creative, as a uh, leader. On this segment, the script, we always give folks, you know, some supplementary materials that they can look to in their journey in relation to the topic. And today's topic is side effects of starting an apparel brand. Do you have any supplementary materials or any folks that people can follow, any movies that people can watch, et cetera, that you feel like will help folks in expanding upon our conversation? Yeah. So I think, um, so I, I really love to, to watch like, uh, like series or movies around women of color, just successful, you know, who have like done really great things. And so one that I watched recently was Aretha with Cynthia. Arivo and she bodied that role, right? But like, you know, just really seeing like Aretha's story told in that way and just seeing what a strong, powerful woman she was, amazing. Another documentary I watched recently was um, Tina Turner's documentary on HBO. Amazing, right? And we all know about, you know, her and Ike and like all of that stuff. But I think that hearing her story from her words in that way was just, but it just blew my mind, right? And that's why I think that when you, um, are able to hear the stories of these creators, you know, from their own mouths and like, you know, really see these, you know, beautiful, um, you know, movies or series put together. It just, for me, it inspires me, right? It really like, I, I can really put myself in the shoes of, you know, how, what they were going through, you know, as being a creative person, as, you know, being owner, having ownership over what you're doing. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's always kind of where I draw a lot of source and inspiration from. But I think the other thing is that like, clubs so ask me like, you know, what books and YouTube and stuff like that. And I think that for me, the best learning has just come from doing, right? And just trying and figuring it out and failing it, right? There's a lot of like different tutorials out there that you can watch and things like that. But there's no- nothing better than just actually like, really getting hands-on into like building a Shopify website or hands-on into building Facebook ads. Because when I first started these things, like I just kind of like went in and, and then just learned along the way. And so um, I think that there's lots of resources that you can use to like give you supplemental type of information that, to help you as, as you're on that journey. But I think the best way to learn is to just not be afraid to just go out there and do it. So basically you got to go for it and yep. no matter what the person has done, if you're watching a documentary about a black woman who's unmade it through, then that's what's going to help you. Because ultimately, I'm telling you, entrepreneurship is so much about a mental game, not just the like actual like praxis of application. Like you said in the beginning, yeah. it's like you get so overwhelmed, you get burnt out and you got to like re-up and like recalibrate. And I think a lot of us think that when that happens, that it's a sign that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. And it's not that, it's Mm -hmm. just that one, it may mean that you need to um, work smarter, not work harder, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's something I've had to really, really start like focusing on. How do Mm -hmm. I 
look at the pieces that I have in front of me and make them work better than mm-hmm. I have been. I know I have a bad habit of just like, I'll just be like scattered. And so then I'll try and scatter all the work to the scatter. And it's like, no, 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 trim, 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 yep. trim. Delegate. The, more, yep. the more committed I've become to trimming and to holding the folks that I work with accountable to their excellence. And what I yes. mean by that is like, if you're a leader and you have a vision, the people working for you, nine times out of 10, if they really fuck with you, they're going to like, they're always kind of default back to you. Like, well, what can you do? What can you, right? And at a certain point though, you have to be like, no, no, I know you can do this. So I need you to do this. Like I know one of the things. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like one of the mistakes that I, that I have made a lot of times, I'll just take it out. I'll just take it on. You know, like if they can't get to the finish line with it, I'll be like, it's fine. It's fine. Fine. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Right. But recently I stopped doing that. Recently, what I started doing was saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to tell folks, you can do this. Good. What, what do you need from me in order for you to do this versus teach hand it over yes. to me? Yep. And it has made all the difference, not just in like me feeling like I don't have everything on my shoulders, but it's empowered my team. And it's given them even more steam to be like more proactive, take more initiative, mm-hmm. be more creative. And I feel like that, listen, leadership is a <laughs> whole thing. Itself, right? <laughs> Learning how to motivate people, bring on the right people, when to fire people, like it will make or break, you know, what you're doing. Right. And so, and so, yeah, I, I completely understand that piece. I'm also learning it. I'm trying you know, not to micromanage people because it has to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be done, right? And so, um, so I, I completely get you. The last dose. I really feel like it's really like dope that you that you kept going. And so, shout out to everybody who's listening. And uh, so, tell them where they can check out the companies and the products that you guys have been putting out into the mix. Yeah, totally. So um, I think that, you know, the easiest thing to do is just go to Uju Media's Instagram. Um, It's U-J-U-U and then media. And then you'll see all the brands that we currently um, are that are currently in our portfolio there. And that's Suk and Sepia, which is if you're into like fast fashion, Zara, H&M, you'll love Suk and Sepia. Sumi Sienna is an athleisure brand. So similar to like a Fabletics or a Lululemon. And then Mango Mason is home decor. And so um so yeah, you know, uh, check those out. And if any, we're actually hiring right now. So check out our hiring pages. Um, you know, brand presidents, marketers, operators, you know, we love to um, support us. So, you know, please apply as we're, as we're growing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kalechi, for joining us and good luck with everything and continue. Uh, I can't wait to see things continue to grow with the new knowledge. That you have <laughs> you, amen. This go round. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amanda. It was great chatting with you. A podcast network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.